When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by the official Star Trek Discovery Starships Collection, All new starships in a larger size format and officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Shenzhou for only $9.95 with free shipping. For details, visit eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 277, Move Along Home. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week, we watch an episode of Star Trek, analyzing moves, figuring out angles, and moving along to the end to figure out whether an episode works overall. This week, Move Along Home, the one where Cisco and the senior staff go missing. But it's all fun and games to Quark. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first... A word from Eagle Moss, the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. Officially authorized by CBS Studios, the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection is available only from Eagle Moss Collections and deals exclusively with Discovery. It's it's right there in the title, John, the Star Trek Mm. Discovery Starships collection, you say. Oh, see, good. I was not reading along. There you go. Yeah. This special collection features brand new ship concepts and designs from the first season of CBS's Star Trek Discovery. Maybe you've heard of it, John. I'm familiar. Each has gone through extensive reference study and has been reproduced under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson for accuracy and detail, uh, making sure it is accurate and detailed just the way the ships in Star Trek Discovery were. I ask you, what would be the good of having one without the other? I know, right? Why would you want accuracy and not detail? Why would you want detail without accuracy? I don't want that. Can it be both accurate and vague? Mm -mm. I think not. So the first thing you may notice upon receiving your first ship, other than the accuracy and detail, that first ship, the USS Shinjo, NCC-1227, there's a detail for you, is the larger size. It's almost eight inches from the front of the saucer to the rear of the nacelles. All the ships in this collection are in this larger scale, made of die-cast metal and ABS materials, and hand-painted with reference to the actual CG models used in production. Each ship also comes with a display base, yes, plus a collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of technology used on board. The first ship in the collection, the aforementioned USS Shinjo NCC-1227, is available to subscribers for only $9.95 with free shipping at eaglemoss.com 
slash Discovery Starships. Additional models, including the iconic USS Discovery NCC-1031, the Corella NCC-1255, and the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey will then ship monthly at an exclusive 20% discount off the standard retail price, and they also come in with free shipping. Subscribers are also entitled to free gifts worth over $100 and may cancel their subscriptions at any time. Full details can be found at eaglemoss.com slash Discovery Starships. Now, fans who would like to purchase their favorite ships individually may do so either online at shop.eaglemoss.com or at their local comic book shop for the regular price of $54.95 each. But again, to subscribe, go to eaglemoss.com slash Discovery Starships. And a huge thanks, as always, to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. Here's the really cool thing about those ships, by the way. Go ahead, name it. When your dad asks with disdain, wasn't it just last week that you were playing with models of starships? Mm-hmm. You can say, yes. Yes. That's it. That's mm-hmm. fine. You don't have to... There's no need to feel bad about that. <laughs> hey, John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you would like to leave us a voicemail... We would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Uh, Say, Mr. Champion. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm here for you, Ken. Wasn't it just last week that you were doing Star Trek trivia? <laughs> you know, I, I, I did that years ago when I was a kid. That's <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. years ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, but you're back at it, and you're, you're still at it. And, uh, and yeah, and, and now, it's, now it's time for more of that. Tell you what, while you're doing that, uh, I, well, you just go ahead. Okay. All right, you can go play with Starships if you want, but I'll be doing the trivia right now. No, no, play, play with Starships? No, dude, that no. was so, like, five minutes ago. I'm, I'm on to something else. You go, you go ahead. Okay. Trivia for today's episode, Move Along Home. The episode was written by Michael Piller. Now, he had his own bit of inspiration here. One of the coolest TV series ever, The Prisoner. And that show's episode, Checkmate, number six, Patrick McGowan, is forced into a chess game using people as game pieces. That's probably enough of that. What uh, what, what you got going there, Ken? Yeah, yeah, I was wait, just playing a little game while you were doing that. Oh, okay, well, was, good, good, good. I was, I was doing the accompaniment... Mm-hmm. You were doing it was that. nice. It was nice. Yeah, yeah. You were playing, mm-hmm. and uh, I was bored, so I started playing. Nice. All right. Well, I hope you didn't miss that good bit about the prisoner because that show was rad, dude. I was busy on percussion. I, I, <laughs> I, I'll go back and listen later. Don't worry. Okay. Very good. The teleplay for today's episode is by a trio: Frederick Rappaport and Lisa Rich and Gene Kerrigan Fauci. Now, Frederick had racked up a number of writing and producing credits before this, um, his first of only two contributions to Deep Space Nine, but he and Iris Stephen Bear are friends and continue to work together on later projects like the 4400, along with some other very familiar names, Robert Hewitt Wolf and Rene Echevria, to name a couple. Now, this episode is Lisa Rich's first Trek gig, but we had mentioned her already on our show. She wrote Liaisons for Next Gen, which aired in September of 1993. Move Along Home aired in February of that year. 
Now, I find that an interesting connection since there are some thematic similarities between the two, and she will have one more story credit on Deep Space Nine, rounding out that group similar story for Jean Kerrigan Fauci. She, like Lisa, worked on this, liaisons for Next Gen, and then one more Deep Space Nine coming toward the end of season one. Now, hang on. And for for people who don't remember, uh, by which I mean me. Oh, okay. Uh, Liaisons. Okay, so picture uh, a delegation of ambassadors on the Enterprise, but then Picard is whisked away. He is missing, and he finds himself on a crashed ship with a mysterious woman. That is so not ringing a bell. Oh, my goodness. No, wow. How wow, long has it really? been? Gee whiz. Not, not that long. Not that long. But, uh, but, but it turns out that the woman is not really a woman in a crashed ship. She is actually a, uh, a simulation set up by this race that they are having first contact with. So Still yes. nothing. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Dude, wow. I know. Did I like it? i know that we found things to like in it okay oh Mm -hmm. well then there are themes aren't there anyway yeah yeah go right ahead my apologies all right working title for today's episode was sore losers and there's a lot in the draft that didn't make it into the final version mostly due to budget um for one thing, the set pieces were conceived as a, a much more horror nightmare sort of look. Rappaport said that he liked the architectural work of the Spanish architect Anton Gaudi. Look at his buildings like uh, Casa Batlo, where you see his Art Nouveau inspired but way creepier designs. Um, he also, Rappaport had a different ending. He had more kind of action in there uh, where he really ratcheted up the stakes. Now, the name Chula... As the game here, it is a mashup of shoots and ladders. Nice. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. So we lose Bashir for part of this episode. And in real life, he wasn't needed on set. So he was shooting his cameo for Next Gen Birthright Part 1. And Terry Farrell said she really wished it was her. That was actually originally conceived for Dax. But uh, she had to stick around for this episode. Bashir did not. So... He got to go do Birthright Part 1. And this episode is Emmy-nominated for Best Hairstyling in a Series. It was directed by David Carson. We're coming up on the end of his run for Star Trek. Uh, the last episode of his that we discussed was Dax, and he has just one more Deep Space Nine to go, and then it's on to the feature film Star Trek Generations, and and that's it. That's the end of the road for Carson's contributions to the franchise. Now, out of our regular cast, let us this week shine the spotlight on Ciroc Lofton. Ciroc was born in L.A. and started his professional acting career at the age of 14. Uh, that would be in the movie Beethoven. And only had a few other professional credits before he landed this gig on DS9 as a series regular. That's a really big deal for any actor, but especially a young actor just starting out. Now, right after this, he was a regular on another show, The Hoop Life, and made a handful of guest appearances into adulthood, even appearing in a couple of Star Trek fan films. But more recently, he has turned his attention to the restaurant world. He opened Cafe Ciroc in Culver City. And when that closed, opened Sarah the Wine Bar just down the street. So if you're looking for an Italian-influenced menu and good wine, well, uh, that's where I'll be. 
Now let's talk about our guest stars. We welcome back James Lashley as Lieutenant George Primen. I'm glad that we are establishing a newcomer on the show. Uh, sorry, what's that? We will never see him again. Yes, yes, we will never see him again. Oh, uh, and that's too bad because his story arc was just there. It was, yeah, it was yeah. just, it was just right there. It was so right there. Yeah, and now he's just disappearing. Not unlike you know half the cast of this week's show. <laughs> and on the alien side, we have Joel Brooks as Fallow, and he is a constantly working character actor, and he's much more recognizable without the wig and the blue makeup on his forehead. He's been everywhere from sitcoms to soap operas to guest roles on major shows like this one, and even some feature films. Uh, he had recurring roles on Six Feet Under, Phil of the Future, and My Sister Sam, as well as the TV version of Private Benjamin. Genre credits include Twilight Zone, the one from the 80s, and Babylon 5. Alamarain. Count to four. Alamarain. Then three more. Alamarain. If you can't see. Alamarain. You will come with me. Second chap. Cisco's keyed up about a couple of things. First, his son Jake is spending too much time with Nog, doing who knows what and learning who knows what. Benjamin and Jake are going to have to have a serious talk. Uh, tomorrow. First, Commander Cisco has to deal with thing number two that's got him keyed up. First contact with the Wadi, a race from the Gamma Quadrant led by a fellow named Fallow. On the DS9 side, it's dress uniforms, introduction to senior staff, a bit of pomp and circumstance, or... It would be if it weren't for an interruption by Fallow. Take us to your games. Specifically, take us to Quark's. Act 1. Quark is not super happy about having his bar overrun. Do these Wadi even have money? I mean, they're eating, drinking, being merry. But can they pay? Quark goes to find out with what are they able to wager. Sticks? No. Disgusting tasting drinks? No. Precious gems? Get these people some drinks. Six hours later, the Wadi are winning and winning and winning at the Dabo table. Quark tries to close the game down, but the Wadi want to keep playing. So Quark rigs the game, though Fallow spots the cheat. You like our gemstones, says Fallow, with more than a hint of menace. You will have a chance to win more. In a new game. An honest game. With that, he begins setting up a game of his own. Chula, and he sets up Quark's players, four different figures, each about the size of a standard chess piece. But what Quark doesn't know is each piece represents a member of DS9 senior staff, Bashir, Dax, Kira, and Sisko. And what the four don't know, they are now in Fellow's game. Act 2. I say they don't know they're in Fellow's game. The four officers don't even know they're together at first, though... They do bump into each other in short order. Cisco also encounters Fallow. He explains nothing, just laughs, telling Cisco he's on Shap 2 and encouraging him to move along home. The four officers decide to split up to figure out what's happening. They'll use their comm badges and tricorders to keep in touch. Now, we don't know how much time has passed, though it must have been a bit. Jake stops by Odo's office to ask if Odo has seen Commander Cisco. They were supposed to have some talk this morning. Now Jake can't find his dad anywhere. The station's computer says he isn't even on DS9. Odo tells Jake to 
move along out of his office. When he finds the commander, he'll let Jake know. Not surprisingly, the computer tells Odo the same thing it told Jake, that Benjamin is not on DS9, though there's no info about when he left nor how. Checking in at Ops, the hapless Starfleet security officer Primmon says none of the senior staff showed up for work this morning. He figures they were just spent after last night's reception for the Wadi. They're not sleeping it off, genius. I think they're missing. Start looking for them. Now. Of course, it's not just the four officers playing Chula. Quark is playing as well. For him, though, it's just an intricate game board with pieces that mean nothing. And he doesn't know the rules. Fallow says he's required to learn as he plays. Betting as little as he can, Quark rolls and is told that his pieces will meet the Chandra. Difficult for some, according to Fallow, though others will consider it mere child's play. Wherever the senior officers are, they come across a little girl, playing a sort of triangular hopscotch, making hand gestures, and repeating an annoying rhyme. She won't answer any questions, just hopping around, chanting her chat, waving her hands, doing her thing. Having had enough, Kira tries to cross the room to the next door and gets repelled by a force field halfway through. But Bashir has figured it out. The kid is hopping on certain tiles in a certain order, He follows in her footsteps and also gets repelled by a force field halfway through. But Dax really figures it out. They have to hop like the kid and say the annoying rhyme as they go. Dax tries it and succeeds. The other three do the same. And that moves them on to third shap. Back on DS9, that's a pile of gemstones for Quark. Act 3. Third Shap and Fallow tells Quark to choose his path the players will take. The shorter the length, the higher the winnings, though the peril is higher as well. And should he lose all four players, he'll lose all he's won. Quark starts talking to Fallow about putting in a couple of chula tables in the bar when Odo comes in. Four senior staff members, Sisko, Kira, Dax, and Bashir, are missing. And Quark puts two and two together. Or really, four and four. Somehow the pieces on the Chula board are the four missing officers. Fallow leans on Quark to choose the path of the four pieces. Quark chooses the safer one, then rolls. In the game, Dax realizes that they're in a game. Not that she's any closer to understanding the rules or how to win. Passing through a door, what, what? Party time in Chula land. The Wadi in the room are standing around, drinking, eating, laughing... Then all of a sudden, the room fills with gas. The Wadi keep drinking and laughing, while the DS9 officers are coughing and choking. Bashir grabs a drink, and that does it. The drinks being enjoyed by the Wadi are a sort of antidote. Bottoms up, and the four players are fine, and on to Shap 4. Back on Deep Space Nine, that's more winnings for Quark, and downright worry from Odo. Act 4. Odo has Primmon scanning the Wadi ship for signs of human life or eh, something else anomalous. On sensors, they find something they can't explain. Odo has Primmon beam him to the location on the ship. What Odo finds is... Strange. A blinding light that when Odo approaches it, beams him to Quark's. Fallow knows what Odo's found, but urges he and Quark not to stop the game. If they do, he says they will lose their players. Anyway, Quark says he knows what he's doing. 
though for Odo's sake he'll choose the safer path for the players. Safe or not, Quark makes an unfortunate roll of the dice. In the game, a sort of energy being is chasing Sisko, Kira, Dax, and Bashir. Scanning each of them, it chooses Bashir, who simply disappears. In Quark's, Fallow takes the piece that represented Bashir off the table. Next move, he says. When Odo asks about the piece, Fallow becomes more insistent. Next move. Choose your path. Double their peril. Double your winnings. And this makes sense to Quark. He's a gambler. He plays the odds. The shorter path means a quicker way to safety for the stranded officers. Well, for two of them, anyway. Quark's next role calls for him to sacrifice one so that two may live. Act 5. He can't do it. He doesn't even know which piece is who. But Fallow warns, if he does not sacrifice one, all three will be lost. And Quark loses it, begging and pleading and crying. He's sorry, truly. He's learned his lesson. He'll never cheat again. But he cannot choose. Fallow agrees, though not in the way Quark hoped. He will simply program the board to choose instead. In the game, the board has given way to a series of caves and chasms, and it's apparently chosen Dax for the sacrifice. The caves are experiencing quakes, and Dax hurts her leg. She won't be able to go on. Of course, Sisko and Kira won't leave her, not even when they come to the only way out, a leap that Sisko can make and Kira can make, but Dax can't make with a bum leg. Dax tells Sisko and Kira to go on without her, but they won't. Sisko orders Kira to jump without them, but she won't. The three stick together, looking for another way out. But the quakes get worse, and the three fall into a chasm and land in Quark's, along with Dr. Bashir. Quark and Odo are amazed that the four are all right, but Fallow says, Of course they're all right. It's only a game. Sisko is livid with Fallow and the Wadi. Though Odo says it was Quark's cheating at Dabo that got them into this trouble in the first place. But all Quark can think about is getting a Chula table for his bar. He chases after the departing Wadi delegation as we hit the end. Can I just say right away that you read the shop out of that? <laughs> you did. Thank you very much. I feel like I was uh, I feel like I was um fourth shop in that read. Not as good as sixth, mm-hmm. but yeah. you know, certainly not yeah. not as childish as first. <laughs> nope nobody starts at the first well, shop. Children children start at the first shop, so Yeah, yeah, but you know. Yeah. They're kids. They don't know any better. Yeah. Speaking of kids. I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. <laughs> all that, all that Cisco and Jake talk about girls. I, I just, hmm. Uh, I, I feel like the writers said, like, hey, let's start something that we just don't know where it's going to go. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's kind of like it's interesting that they have chosen to put a child on this show as like a functioning member of the cast. Because mm-hmm. if there's mm-hmm. one thing Star Trek has never been able to write well, it's children. It's children, yeah. and it's the relationship yeah. between children and parents, with the exception of like you know maybe a couple of episodes between Beverly and Wes, and yeah. I, I literally yeah. mean two episodes between yeah. Beverly yeah. and Wes. I mean kids aren't anything they've been able to do, and so like at the start of this episode, it's it's like, well, my father was never really a fan of mine. 
<laughs> so how's how's Ben going to be with Jake? I mean, it's just, I, and I'm sure. I mean, we got seven seasons. I'm sure this this uh, this uh, relationship is going to mature. You know, not yes, wood, we, we cross know. your we fingers. Know. They, no, yeah, we don't they, know. I don't know about this <laughs> one. The stuff about Bashir, I know. I assume that this is going to get better. And I will also I, okay, say, I'm just, I'm just trying to preemptively cut off a handful of emails and tweets. But yeah, <laughs> but yes, that is both understandable, Mr. Champion, and uh, commendable. <laughs> but yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> uh, what I'm saying though is, yeah. I really hope that that uh, I really hope that gets better. And 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 good job on their part to go ahead. Yeah, no, we can totally write kids this time. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then I, well, I thought it was funny. The, the Odo knows too. So you know that little bit where Jake goes up to him and's like, "Yeah, I, I was you know looking for my father, and there was the Bajorans coming in." And Odo's like, "Yeah, because you stand around and look at the Bajoran girls." Yeah, <laughs> like Odo, which yeah, I like, love. Honestly, that was a better that was a better mentor. It was um, it totally was. moment than anything that's happened so far between uh, Jake and Benjamin. It was like, and he played it well too. And we see he did because a lot of times we couldn't tell. Were kids being poorly directed? Were they just poorly written? That was actually a very cute scene. I mean, and he played that mm-hmm. smile perfectly that, you know, I, yeah. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. No, 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 wait, I'm cool. <laughs> okay, I'm still a tiny bit embarrassed. It, yeah. was a, it was a nice scene between the two of them. It was delightful. Um, uh, speaking of immature people on board, uh, Bashir, uh, not showing up in his dress uniform. Uh, first of all, replicate one. Uh, apparently not. No, <laughs> apparently you can't. Um, and second, uh, the Wadi won't know the difference. What, what if they think that he looks the best? What if they size up right away? There's Dax, there's Cisco, and they're like, and, the, and then this guy who showed up in the nice uniform and you others showed up in your pajamas. Right, you, know? <laughs> you, yeah. you in the dress. Take off the pants. What? What, mm-hmm. what are you, is it? A dress or is it pants? Which one is right. it? He might right. say scants. You might say those, those would be mm-hmm. mighty fine looking scants if you weren't wearing the pants Ooh. under them. Oh, getting I gotta ideas. say, yeah. I gotta say though. Um, uh, so right. I assume there is no replicator since he's just like stressing about the fact that he really thought he packed it. He thought he packed mm-hmm. his dress uniform. He was sure he did. Doesn't he know a tailor on board? Mm, well, okay. Doesn't it's, he know a clothier? Doesn't he know just like a plain, simple like guy who makes clothes on Deep Space Nine? It's hilarious that you would mention that because there is actually an unfilmed scene. Really? In, yeah, in which he would have said something to Dax about, oh, well, I'm thinking about having Garrick make one for me. And she'd be like, really? Like a, a Cardassian tailor making a Starfleet uniform? I don't know about that. Oh, that'd be a pretty cool idea, although it's going to be embarrassing when they find out that Garrick actually doesn't know anything about how to be a tailor because he is a spy. Yeah, and it's bugged. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> uniform is bugged. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Everywhere he goes, oh, I see you were uh, up late at Quark's last night. How do you see that? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I just guess. What did I say? Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I got to say games in the Gamma Quadrant, uh, seriously, no joke, right? Because mm-hmm, uh, we've mm-hmm. seen now two games from the Gamma Quadrant. Uh, one is Captive Pursuit, where they're hunting a guy right. who has yeah. been raised for the hunt, although they'll kill other people if they get in the way of the hunt, right, or stun them anyway. Yeah. And then uh, Move Along Home, a uh, it's, it's a fun game, uh, Chula, where people who don't know they're playing uh, think they're playing, and they think the whole time they're going to die. Right. <laughs> yes. The Gamma yeah. Quadrant is like, I mean, they're they're like, you know, they're, well, I guess level 20. Mm-hmm. <laughs> far, yeah. with a plus one for a holy am i am i really gonna die in this game right yeah. well see and you still know so little about dabo somebody might die in that that's true because those spiky things are spiky 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever the, exactly. with, with the pit showing or something. I can't remember exactly what he said already, but mm-hmm. yeah. I, Cause I figured when they have double pits showing or whatever he said, that that's like, that's double your winnings. And it turns out, mm-hmm. no, two pits nope. in the exact same little pocket. That's mm-hmm. bad. Which is amazing yeah. to me because I would think, you know, one and one, one and another, that would be bad. It's sort of like, like if you, if you pulled the, uh, pulled the arm on a one arm bandit there out in Vegas mm-hmm. and if nothing matched, you win. <laughs> but but if things match, they're like, oh, that sucks. Put more quarters in because you owe us now because it really yeah. looked like you won, but you didn't. It, it's the Ferengi game. They might literally change it every day. They probably do. They will yeah. T- yeah, yeah. Today's Dabo is this. You know, it's like, like again, like Fizzbin. <laughs> We've mentioned it. Yeah. Yes. Um, speaking of Ferengi, I had to look up, uh, it was, you know, I, I very often watch the show with subtitles on to make sure I get the, the names of objects or characters in there, at least once on our watch through. And, and I, I swear, I thought that Cisco said that he was eating uh, Ferengi low-carb beans. Yes. No, it was actually low-carb beans, low-carb beans, just one word. But I, I thought he was like, I'm, I'm doing a low-carb thing now. I thought that was, because he did mention how he'd lost a little weight. You know, putting on that uniform. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, yeah, so the Ferengi yeah. are really interested in profit, gambling, and snacks, mm-hmm. but healthy snacks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you looked it up, um, and it turns out that's not the case. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're still not good for you, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Surprising. Oh, well. Yeah. I, I think uh, – here's the thing. Uh, through seven seasons of Next Gen, uh, the, the the sexiest thing that we've seen is uh, Riker in a jazz club meeting Minuet. Uh, otherwise, he's just at home with the, the women playing a lute. And we, we go to DS9. DS9 is a little more rough and tumble. And Quark has his hollow suites. And we just sort of like wink and nod about the hollow suites. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time anybody has actually equated it with sex. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know if if that will, again, be explicitly said the way they did it here. Um, but, you know, many more Hollow Sweet adventures to come, I'm sure. Um, Primen, our old friend Primen, who, who just has a, a long and healthy and adventurous career ahead of him somewhere other than Deep Space Nine, he uh, that that line that's so weird, Constable. Oh no, that that was just odd. Like, were they trying to say that he was just super at ease with Odo now after their bonding in the last episode? Um, it's too bad because he was like he was actually a good character in the last episode. Yeah, I, I agree, and, and it was a good way to mix it up. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like him. For the first half of it, but you're not supposed to for the first half of it, I don't think. But he came around to actually being a really good, really decent character, and he was a, he was a bit like um, he was a bit like one long pratfall in this episode. <laughs> like every right. time he was on, it's just like, oh, something stupid is about to happen. Just wait. Yeah. Now I get the feeling, Ken, that you and I may have. Uh one or two things to say in summary of this episode, how we felt about it, what we thought about it. That that'll all come. We'll get there in time. We're just on like the the second chap right now of our show we'll we'll hit chap four in a little bit but something that i like in this episode is how nonsensical and surreal it all is like 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 think back to um tos specter of the gun and and those totally impressionistic sets and, and you just see the the kind of the area that they're in just kind of fall away stuff like that is really cool but then this is star trek and i started to have questions mm-hmm 
like? Like, were our characters transported there? Did they have some sort of transponder that correlated to the game pieces? I know this is one of those episodes where I can't have those questions because it is designed to be surreal and nonsensical, but I had those questions. Like, like especially when Fallow shows up with them in the game. Right. Like he's there playing with Quark, but then he's also in that room in the game doing that weird clap that they do and drinking the Tranya uh, so they don't uh, get killed by the gas. See, I know you're saying that we can't have answers to those, but I think we actually kind of do. I assume well, we, have, whatever... we have a little bit of an answer because Odo, yeah, is like zapped back to one. Well, you know? also heard Bremen say, though, that the only thing that can make that kind of um, energy signature is a transporter, but a transporter would be momentarily or momentary. It sounds right, like right. they've got basically they're running they're running them in a transporter buffer the whole time to mm-hmm. to be sort of dropped back out, you know, whenever um, whenever Fallow decides when he hits his. Uh, when he hits his, you know, control pad, which is, I assume, how he was appearing as well. I don't think he's ever actually in the game. I think he's just sort of got these pre-programmed, like, you know, here's here's how I'm going to be creepy with people. I, I kind of wondered that, and I kind of wondered, like, do the game pieces correspond to their movements? Sorry, remember that old electronic football thing with the magnets under the uh, on, under the platform, and you just turn it on and it move the little uh, metal game pieces around on the on the football field. That that's how I pictured what was happening with the game pieces on the board. Even though we never saw them move, I just thought that there had to be some correlation to the movement of those pieces and what was happening to the people in the game. But again giving it entirely too much thought. Alamar Rain. Count to four. Alamar Rain. Then three more. Alamar Rain. If you can't see. Alamar Rain. You will come with me. Third Shap. So we're on to the next shop now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, shop three. All right. Because at the end of shop two, I meant to say... Alamarine! Because <laughs> you're supposed to when you move on from shop to shop. See, here's what's wrong with Dabo, okay? Okay. I've only yeah. seen one episode with Chula. Yeah. And I understand it better than Dabo. <laughs> I know that yeah, Alamarine yeah. means you're moving on to the next thing. That's, you know, that's they learned that when they were following the little girl, and then uh, every time that they were moving from shop to shop in uh, Quarks, yeah. uh, Fallow would, would, would holler, Holla! Holla! Alamarine! <laughs> he would yell, and we would move on to the next round. Speaking of which, let's move on to the next round. What is up with Cisco's disdain of Nog? Oh, man. I, it, see, that's just so weird here. Uh, I, I, I feel like we're supposed to fill in the blanks somehow. Um, the, the audience is supposed to fill in the blanks. But, but really, look, all, all we've seen them do is, yeah, they're, they're goofing off in that scene where they released the little mites into, into Quark's bar. And that was just... <laughs> the amazing Technicolor fleas. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And, um, and, and Nog doesn't want to go to school. But uh, I also feel like Cisco has not had a sit down with Nog. Right. Um, it, it, this is all based on assumption here, and it, it's yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird. Racist. Sorry. It's a little okay. Th- maybe that's the word that I was looking for. Here's the thing. I mean, first of all, we don't know that Nog didn't want to go to school. We know that Rom didn't want Nog didn't to go want to school, Nog to go. but he went ahead and relented. I will tell you honestly, and it's weird to talk about racism when you're talking about Cisco. It's weird to talk mm-hmm. about racism when you're talking about a black guy. I remember when I was a kid. 
Um, down in Vicksburg, Mississippi, I was for vacation, which is the, the loosest, most awful. Look, nothing against Vicksburg, okay? If anybody's mm-hmm. listening in Vicksburg, it's a fine city. I had to go down there when I was eight and hang out with 80-year-olds that I technically wasn't even related to. Okay. Whoa. So wow. it was never a lot of fun for me. And then a couple of kids like showed up in the yard and wanted to play. Um, and, uh, and so I went out and played with those kids and I came back in and was told by the 80 year old who you got to know an 80 year old Vicksburg guy, I'm going to be the most open-minded person you've ever met. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He suggested I not get mixed up with those kids mm-hmm. because those kids, uh, I forgot to mention this part were black mm-hmm. and my mother, God bless her. My mother says, well, Tommy, I don't know that he's getting mixed up with anybody. I think he was out playing with other kids. Good for her. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And it's like something that, yeah. you know, 40 years later, literally 40 years later, it still sticks with me as a as a shining and defining moment yeah. of who she was and of who he was as well. But then let's 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 go forward a bit. There are, you know, I mean I mean okay, now the first time we met Nog, he had just pulled a B&E. Okay. Mm-hmm. We do know that. And then the one time that we know that Cisco knows that Jake and Nog were hanging out, it was because of the amazing Technicolor fleas. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he also needs to understand that there's absolutely nothing else to do on the ship. And despite his lying to Jake in the first episode, as you pointed out about how many kids there would be, yeah. there is, in fact, one. Yeah, and yeah. that one is his friend. And at some point, uh, Cisco needs to get over whatever it is. Because all he's going to do, honestly, is make Jake like Nog more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and... Uh, obviously, the, uh, there will be more of this to come. <laughs> the folks don't need to send us letters about it. Um, but yeah, but where we are right now in the development of of this relationship and these characters, it, the thing that bothers me about it is, is yes, everything that you have pointed out, and it's that the Ferengi so far they they made this change from the feral animals that were in that first uh, episode when we met them in Next Gen, and now they're they're sort of slightly comedic a little a little oily a little untrustworthy but we're sort of going into this with the assumption that they're all the same that every Ferengi is exactly the same and the same means not trustworthy and and a a good kid from starfleet shouldn't be hanging out with any of them you know it's in fairness Mm -hmm. quark was in league with murderers last week yeah, uh, well, yes. Well, a murderer <laughs> last week, and then he hired some other people. But again, that's Quark. That's not Nog. Mm-hmm, I mean, it's mm-hmm. – and here's the thing. Yes, as John points out, I mean, we know that there are things coming that we don't yet know or that in some cases we're pretending to not yet know. Mm-hmm. The way we're watching it right now is this is episode nine of a new series. I'll tell you honestly, I don't know what Ben Sisko's relationship is going to be with Nog going forward. What I will say is either it's 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 – xenophobic Mm -hmm. or it's lazy writing one of the two like okay what do we know about jake well jake's friends with nog okay well we need cisco to be frustrated with jake so what's he going to be frustrated with jake about well the one thing we know is that he's friends with nog okay so that's what we'll be frustrated about and action or and start writing it's just i mean the whole thing just feels i mean it's either here we go again like eye rolling or or it's uh (laughs) or worse the the difficulty is this that you know for twenty years you had the Klingons as the mustache twirling 
uh, a- alien other of Star Trek. I mean, you needed uh, an enemy. We're just going to write in the Klingons. Mm-hmm. But then you get up to next gen and you get up to uh, a character like Worf and the, the complexity of Klingon culture that they built into that started exploring in that. And we get to take a step back and say, wow, there, there's something here about our enemies not being the the monolithic other that we painted them to be. But because it's also storytelling on a week-to-week episodic TV show, we also need to have this other that we can just sort of throw all these negative uh, uh, attributes at and make it stick. So for now, it's going to be the Ferengi. You know, and, and I feel like that's where we are. We're just, we, if we need something to say, like, who's the one that's uh, that, that's getting into trouble? Who's the one that's uh, shady and uh, uh, need, we need to have Odo keep an eye on? Well, well that character is going to be a Ferengi. And pretty much every Ferengi around them also going to be um, untrustworthy and, uh, and, and whatever we need to, them to be from week to week. See, even if you're going to say that about Ferengi adults, though, there's something wrong, it seems to me, mm-hmm. with, with, I, with Benjamin being that yeah. way about a child, right? Which I know he's 14, although Ben actually says that Nog is older than Jake, and we've established that Jake is 14. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just the teen angst. Maybe it's just the, I don't know what you kids are up to <laughs> when I'm not around. You know, I mean, maybe it has nothing to do with the fact that Nog is who Nog is. Maybe if it were any other 16 year old who had, you know, sort of a, a checkered past, let's say, yeah, um, hanging out with a 14 year old. I mean, maybe maybe Ben would be that way about, you know, anybody. But all, I mean, the only things we know about Nog is he's gotten into a little bit of trouble and he's a Ferengi. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> right. it's hard not to read it as something more. um uh, something less Starfleet than you would expect. Yeah. No, and I feel like what we've gotten out of the show so far can only land us at that. <laughs> that, that, that that's just that, that's where it has dumped us with these characters. So far. Yeah, so far, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I have a question about Quark. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that scene where he's begging, mm-hmm. you think he's being sincere? I don't know. But I love I it, I love the comedic moment in that scene when Fallo and Odo look at each other and then sort of look over the table. <laughs> that was yeah. that was very well done. Was he being sincere? Um, I don't know. He said later that he would have said anything to end it. Yeah, I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Well, see, I, I, I that scene was really well played, and the reaction was really well played, and then I, I'm glad we got a follow up at the end of the show. We got to to sort of readdress it a little bit, but uh, the whole thing was set up to make you wonder: Was he really that concerned about his friends, Cisco, Dax, Kira, and Bashir? I mean, how much time have they spent around each other, really? Other than Quark being all infatuated with Dax when she comes in for her morning rack to Gino, well, that's about it. Cisco was sitting there for six hours talking to Quark, apparently. He was in there for six hours. I don't know if they were chatting for six hours. And if they were, what were they chatting about? I hate your, I hate your nephew. Your nephew needs to stay away from my kid. <laughs> you <know>? Right. <laughs> so I, 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 I don't know. I, I like that that scene was so well played and, and Armin Shimmerman just nailed it. And I like that it left me with a question. I, I think that was one of the better things in this episode. I kind of feel like, I mean, I don't, I honestly don't really want to think too much about whether or not he meant it, because what I then go to is probably not. 
And yeah. I think I don't want to think that because I want to like Quark, you know, because he's going to be one of our lead characters, even though he was just in league with a murderer last week. Right. He wanted not to pick. He wanted not to choose. He begged. He begged. He pleaded. And our assumption is that he doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want one of them to die. But I think really mm-hmm. what he might have been doing was covering his own backside because mm-hmm. he cries and cries and cries and says, please don't make me, don't make me. And then Fowler's like, fine, we'll let the board do it. And Quark doesn't cry anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. Now, he's now fine. He doesn't have to choose. So yeah. when they come out and they find out, oh, yeah, well, Dax died because they all think they're going to die. And, you know, everybody in the game, well, everybody in, in Quark's who's not Wadi thinks mm-hmm. they're going to die. Um he doesn't want to be the one to have chosen who is going to die. Once he finds out, well, okay, so you don't have to choose. You see, that's my, my feeling is he's probably just covering his own behind. But I don't, like, I don't yeah. want to think that because I want to like Quark. I, that's why I like that scene, though, is because it challenges us in that way. So you know what I found challenging in this? <laughs> What's that? Um, uh, ideas of fate and free will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's okay. that's what I took from this episode most. I mean, and, and the problem is it doesn't answer any questions, just as nothing ever answered those questions when I was concerned about such things. Yeah. Um, right. Now they're just sort of like fun thought exercises. Back in the day, though, when I went someplace on Sunday morning, besides rolling over to the other pillow, mm-hmm. um, I never used to understand exactly how your name's in the book, but you got to be good. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, mm-hmm. which is it? Yeah. <laughs> is my name yeah, in the right. book or do I have to, you know, go through hoops? Because if my name's in the book, it doesn't really matter what I do. And if my right. name's not in the book, it doesn't really matter what I do. Um, the courses that Cisco and crew are taking are determined by chance, a roll of the dice, yet they have to perform actions and figure out strategies to get through it. Yeah. Or or do they? I mean, I guess they do because so like they roll the dice and they're going to meet the Chandra, right? And then mm-hmm. in the game, they have to figure out how to get past the Chandra, or do they actually have to figure out how to get past the Chandra, because was that going to happen anyway? Because, yeah. you know, Quark, I mean, uh, Fallow is rolling the dice. I mean, Fallow, excuse me, has set up the board. Quark is rolling the dice, but they're in there having to do all the stuff that they have to do anyway. They're, they're sweating, they're toiling, and whether they you know, do well or do poorly, the game's going to end the way the game's going to end. And they're either mm-hmm. going to... Well, as far as they know, they're going to live or die. Now, of course, it turns out they're going to live. But we didn't know that at the time, and they certainly didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, that kind of goes back to my question before about what what actually is the interaction between the game and the people. Mm -hmm. Because they're in there with um, not only the ability to communicate with each other and take action in the rooms that they're in, but they also have their technology with them. They're, They're sort of learning the game as they go. So does their learning affect what's happening back on the game board in any way, shape, or form? Or is what's happening on the game board just making the challenges that much more difficult. But Quark and Fallow aren't actually watching it happen. Quark has no idea that that those game pieces are those people until much later in the episode, until much later in the game. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely. I think it was one of the more interesting questions here about this episode is is that do their actions actually have any influence on their ability to survive the game uh, as opposed to the quote unquote gods who are throwing the dice um yeah we we don't know <laughs> well you kind of figure their actions do uh, affect it somehow because they had to figure out how to get past the chandra and we watched them figure out how to get past the chandra 
unless this is just a parable being told for us, except that the four of them seem to remember everything that happened when they come out. They don't talk about it long, but they're like, you know, oh, you mean we weren't yeah, really yeah. in danger? Okay, so then they must have been conscious of the fact that something was going on. They weren't just being held in a transporter buffer. So if they were conscious that something was going on and they were conscious of the danger, then I assume that they remember everything else. And if they remember everything else, then they must have actually had to try to get past the Chandra. So then what are they doing like while the game's being played? Are they just like sitting there like, I don't... Do you think these these pieces that aren't moving are going to get past that other piece that's not moving, but in my head they're actually moving and in whatever nether region the game takes place in, they're also... (sighs) And then they're going to die anyway, or not. It doesn't matter how they do. Well, it it seemed to me that that with the the roll of the dice, then that would determine just how difficult the next level was to get through. Like like maybe, you know, Quark rolls like a like a one or something. I'm I'm just gonna assume that he's got a three dice. You can't roll a one. No, but I'm gonna assume he's got a twenty sided die. Uh, at some point, no, you know, only, there were only three uh, pyramid dice. That was it. I was paying attention okay. to this oh, game because yeah. I want to try and figure okay. out how these games work. When you said that that Chula is short for shoots and ladders, <laughs> honestly, I think my understanding of the game went up, you know, a whole lot more. I'm so glad it did because I have zero interest. <laughs> really? Oh, there's so many neat pieces, and there's dice, and oh, and there's a there's a little uh, there's a little interactive bit there with the screen. I would love. I'd love to play this game. If if we you get yourself from shop to shop and you tell me how you did it, no, uh, yeah, uh, I'll be over here doing something else. Uh, I got all the shops. Alamarain, count to four. Alamarain, then three more. Alamarain, if you can't see Alamarain, you will come with me. Shop number four. Alamarain! I did it wrong again. I was supposed to do it at the end of the last shop, I believe, on the way to this one. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not a great Chula player yet. No. But, but I will tell you, I used to rule at Shoots and Ladders, so I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm going to have this game down. Yeah, come Vegas, come see me, because I mm-hmm. can, uh, yeah, we'll run the Chula tables, assuming we can find one, you know. Mm-hmm. And a more discerning casino. Not one of those nickel slots places, because it's a bit much for that. Uh, The episode is Move Along Home, and we have moved right along to the segment where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode, and uh, and seeing whether or not uh, we feel uh, the episode holds up. And uh, that's where I'll start, Mr. Champion, in asking you, Move Along Home, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Let's put in a little context first. Um, I, I was very interested to read uh, what other people's reactions to this episode might have been. Hmm. Um, uh, take your Ronald D. Moore. Uh, he had not come into the staff yet at this point in DS9, but he said he saw this episode and wondered if they had all lost their minds. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and then you've got people on the production staff kind of split. Uh, uh, Michael Piller, I was surprised to see that, that this one really uh, was his idea, though he did not script it. Um, and it, it seems like there were a lot of people who had ideas here that just didn't quite come to fruition. So there's a lot of mixed feelings on the on the production end. You know, people who loved it, people who hated it. You go to the uh, 50th anniversary Star Trek convention in Vegas. Ken, I believe you were there. Hmm. Um yeah, as was I. However, we were not in uh, whatever panel ranked episodes of Star Trek. Right. Uh, and I believe this one was ranked as, I, I might be wrong, but I believe this one was ranked as the worst episode of Deep Space Nine. 
and ranked as something like the eighth or ninth worst episode of the entire franchise. Um, so interesting to, to, to see that kind of fan opinion. That's kind of encouraging, actually. If this is the worst episode of Deep Space Nine... That's, then we're over the hump. That's kind of yeah. encouraging, yeah, because we got yeah, yeah. seven and a half or six and a half more seasons. Yeah, yeah, all right. yeah. All right. So, uh, all right. So here's my thought. Like, I, I will cut this episode some slack in in these ways. Uh, they try to do something fun. They try to do something with some action and danger for our our lead characters. Uh, they tried to get in that Twilight Zone mind bleepery feel at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they tried to create something very alien coming out of the Gamma Quadrant. So it, it just people who behave in ways we don't understand, we don't get that this is a test, that this is a game, it's a thing they do. It, it, these are all ideas that I appreciate mm-hmm. when they're done well. And Armin is great in this. Uh, I'll give them that too. Uh, but there are a lot of problems. <laughs> so again... I don't feel like we really gained anything at the end of the day here. So last week I mentioned the problem with the puzzle episodes. And and it's not that those are inherently bad. It's just that they get tedious if we don't get anything out of the characters along the way. Um, There are a handful of good scenes here, a handful of good lines. Um, I was kind of intrigued with the idea of uh, Dax, was she being serious, saying that she would leave Cisco behind. I think there there's a discussion to be had there that you could read it as she was. You could read it as she wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, a good meaty part of a scene. Um, so it, there's a handful of good stuff here, but that doesn't necessarily add up to a good episode. Um, also, the design just leaves something to be desired. So, yes, I want Star Trek to break out of routine and show us new alien cultures, but this looked like it was put together by someone who didn't really know good science fiction, but rather had watched just like a handful of episodes of Buck Rogers and decided they knew how to do sci-fi production design. You know, uh, we'll just make it look weird. We'll just make it look alien. Uh, So from a production point of view, it it fails in a lot of ways. I, I feel like the story, the script... Uh, the, just the design overall. Um, and, and I feel like we get some good acting moments, particularly out of Armin, but the others aren't really given a lot to do. Um, I, I enjoyed some of the stuff between Quark and uh, Primmon. Um, Odo and Primmon. But, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Odo and Primmon. My bad. Yeah, uh, but that's uh, that's about it. So I, I have to say that this one is a fail. Uh, how about you? Does this hold up for you? Not, not for a minute. <laughs> there are, I mean, there are things that I like. I think the guy who played Fallo, he's, he's great. It was weird to me to see like how many things he's been in. And yet I don't know his name. I have never known his name and I've already forgotten his name now. <laughs> and I feel terrible about that because seriously, you, you and Joel I, Brooks, the, the the one and only Joel Brooks. Yeah. yeah, because you and I were talking about it. If you watched TV in the 70s, you saw Joel Brooks. I mean, you mm-hmm. just did. Mm-hmm. He's he's he is he is that guy who was in that thing that time. Except he was in yeah. all of those things. 
countless times. And then, of course, he did mm-hmm. have the recurring roles on a couple of shows as well, um, including most recently, I think it was, or relatively recently, some soap opera. wasn't The Guiding Light, though, so I lost interest almost immediately. <laughs> um, like, I mean, there are little comedic moments with him. Um, and, and as you said, um, Armin is, is great in this episode. Um, and there are things about that that I like. When 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 Cisco is doing all the pomp and circumstance, and and Joel Brooks is yeah, yeah, yeah yes yeah yes, mm-hmm. take us to your games. I mean it's 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 cute and it's understated and it's not laugh out loud funny. And he doesn't come in you know over the top in the way like a like a Harry Mud might have or you know a more flamboyant character might have. Right. There were things uh, in this show that reminded me of TOS episodes, but none of the ones I liked. Like it reminded me of <laughs> it reminded me of I Mud, and it reminded me of Shore Leave. Shore Leave. I mean, both of those episodes gave us a lot of stuff to think about and a lot of stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. But the you know anytime anytime somebody has to hopscotch through something or you know do some <laughs> stupid dance or something You're like lost. that. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Yeah. It depends. I mean, I'm assuming that there is a way to write that that would be menacing or that would be whatever. But yeah, this just reminded me of things I didn't like. Yeah. There's no reason for Quark to put four and four together the way he does. There's no reason for him to think that the pieces on the board are the missing officers based on mm-hmm. just the one thing. That should have taken longer for him to realize, it seems to me. Because we've, we've got no indication that the, um, that the Wadi are that powerful, that they can actually, yeah. you know transport people to another dimension and turn them into pieces on a game board. And as you said, literally nobody learns anything in this episode. I mean, last week, you and I disagreed on whether or not anybody learned anything. This week, I'm right there with you. Jake's dad still hates Jake's one and only friend. Every character (laughs) seems to be written on cardboard here. Cisco, honestly, is written for maximum condescension to everyone in this episode. Yeah, He's condescending to Jake. He's condescending to... um, uh, to uh, the doctor, uh, uh, Bashir. He's he's not condescending to... Uh, well, he's condescending to Kira, actually, when she's like, hey, I, this isn't what I signed up for. And he's like, well, you're going to have to deal. <laughs> you know, right? Mm-hmm. Dax is yeah, the only one that, yeah. to whom yeah. he's not condescending. Uh, Kira is written for maximum irritability all the way through. Uh, Primen mm-hmm. has gone from being tough as nails to an idiot. And Bashir is still the same level of derpy always is. So, I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah. there are little comedic moments, like the thing where Jake is embarrassed talking to Odo about girls, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to being defensive the way he is with his father. I mean, it's a cute look. It's a cute look off this cute kid who's been given nothing to do so far, or almost nothing to do so far. There are really great, I mean, as you pointed out, there, there are wonderful acting moments, um, and, you know, a, a special mention to them, because it's, there's there's no script. I mean, there's... Nothing written for them to do. I, I love Odo kind of taunting Premen with, oh, 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 is that against Starfleet regulation? Is it also against Starfleet regula- regulation to push a few buttons? Just because he, he it, it, it shows that Odo has a sense of humor about himself in that, or about the moment, you know, because we, we, Odo's never been anything but tough. Mm-hmm. But this is a way of him to be tough, but also kind of use irony to his advantage. You know, I, it, it's it, like that was a good moment. It was a good scene for him. doesn't change the character. doesn't mean that he learned anything. doesn't mean that Primen necessarily learned anything. He just took the order and did the thing. 
But um, but yes, yeah, all, all these nice little moments in the show mm-hmm. that, um, that that don't that add up. Sadly, to a don't save the show. Thing, right? <laughs> don't save the show. Yeah, yeah. They'd be great when they do their uh, Touch of Gray episode. Touch of Gray, Shades of Gray, no, Shades of Gray. Yeah, those moments yeah. would be great when they do their Shades of Gray episode, which I'm crossing yeah. my fingers doesn't happen because I don't know if you heard. But a few years ago, some Star Trek fans voted this the worst episode of Deep Space Nine. Whoa. Which I'm assuming means we don't get a clip show. Mm, okay. unless, <laughs> right. unless they think this episode was so bad that even a clip show would be worth Worse it. Worse than a clip show. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Mm. What, about, uh, what about messages? Were there any? Uh, well, you know, are, are they messages that the characters actually learn from? Not necessarily. Uh, the the journey that the four are going on, uh, Dax, Kira, Sisko, and Bashir, uh, you're only as strong as your weakest link. You know, there's a lot of those kind of very classic, no, you go on without me. No, we're not leaving without you. We're t-. You know, it, it, it's a team working together to help the weakest to uh, to become part of the stronger team. That's all well and good. Wait, uh, I think you're using you're only as strong as your weakest link incorrectly, though, aren't you? No, 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 no. I mean, it, 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 in... Because that means they're, they're, they're no good. Because, I mean... No, no, no. It, it means... No, no, no. It, it, if you've got somebody who is falling behind... Right. All right. If, if they become the weakest link at that point, all right, so right. then you, you, you lift them up, you pull them up so that you can actually carry on with the thing. You don't all just stop and like, uh, oh, okay, well... We'll, we'll wait here with you, and we'll, you know, we'll, uh, we'll hang out. See, to me, I think it's more like that thing with the sticks, right? Where you can break mm-hmm. one stick by itself, but when you, you know, put a bundle of sticks together, you can't break them. Maybe, I mean, Mr. Jones, that's nice. I like that. That's yeah. part, part of our, our national seal. Uh, I would also say don't cheat, I would also, but, no, but uh, Quark does not necessarily learn from the don't cheat message. You know, gets him into a world of trouble. Right. But I don't think he's going to learn from it. Um, uh, also, there, there's no such thing as a hot streak. Uh, Quark is not familiar with the gambler's fallacy. Uh, all those moments where he's telling Odo, like, ah, but look, if I just roll one more time and I just bet this, then then I, uh, everything will be fine. No, you have no control over outcome. Uh, the, there is no way for you to uh, game the system in that way because, uh, well, it's not his game and he can't cheat at it. Um I wish that there were some interesting messages here at the end of the day, like, like I don't know about taking games too seriously or, or something like that, but th- there's just not. And like I said, the, the messages that I pointed out just aren't, aren't things that have any lasting effect on anybody. Um, any, any that I overlooked or, uh, or anything that, that uh, jumps out at you? No. I don't think so. All right. I mean, I got. I mean, I I was personally interested in the ideas of fate and free will, but they're not actually addressed here. Yeah, which is something yeah. I was thinking about while I was watching it. However many times I watched it, mm-hmm. um, no. I mean, there's there's no chance for. Uh, I mean, Cisco's being a jerk to his son, you know, about his one friend. Uh, so we don't learn anything from that. Um, Quark. Uh, the one thing I do like. I mean, I like the fact that Quark does not. He is not suddenly a saint at the end of this. I mean, at the end of it, mm-hmm. he's he's thinking, okay, well, that was scary, but also kind of exhilarating, and I could make money off it. So let me go see if I can. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of fun, I guess. But where there, if it had turned out that there had actually been real danger, there might have been a question there. If Quark had mm-hmm. been held to play the game at gunpoint, then there might have been a message there. Because I mean, there is a potential of saying. And don't mess with people you don't know, 
right? I mean, because Quark, yeah, Quark yeah. just cheats Fallow. He just straight up cheats him. And so then Fallow puts Quark through something, maybe for, maybe as a way to punish him, maybe as a way to teach him a lesson. But as we pointed out, Quark doesn't actually learn that lesson, and there's no real danger for anybody. So, no, it just felt like uh, it felt like 48 minutes times however many times I watched it that I'm not going to get yeah. back. Although, I mean, yeah. luckily it was sort of it was salvaged, I think, with uh, with some of those uh, wonderful acting moments that we talked about. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Check out the Roddenberry Podcast Network at podcast.roddenberry.com. There you will find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Trek Files. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, the Nagus. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. As you believe, so shall you do. The higher, the fewer. Double their peril, double your winnings. Fisben. I mean, Dabo. I mean, here is a look at my robot guts. I mean, the higher? the fewer podcast.roddenberry.com the roddenberry podcast network waiting on a tax return hopefully it ends up in your hands fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30 percent in 2023 if you're in a bind this tax season lifelock can help our u.s-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues and all lifelock plans are backed by the million dollar protection package so we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft help protect your information this tax season with lifelock save up to 25 percent your first year at lifelock.com aware